Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. This is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So beautiful and weird. Yeah. So, this week, Jeremy has the presidential trivia for you guys. Yeah. So. Starting to become a more productive member of this team. <laughs> actually, like, contributing something. <laughs> uh, so, this week's presidential trivia, um, which president is the only president to not have sworn in using a, a Bible or a book of some sort? It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. Interesting. Yeah. I like that one. So, the answer will be at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. So this week's episode is a long one. So what we're actually going to do is we're going to split it up into two parts. So we'll do the first half this week, and then we'll release the second half next week. So this is part one, and if you want to hear the rest of the story, stay tuned for next week. <laughs> for people that don't understand how part ones and part what, twos what work. What radio host is 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 that? The rest of the story. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That sounds like you did like a Walter Cronkite voice. Yeah. <laughs> or a Larry oh King. Gosh. I listened <laughs> I listened to no, it's not it. I listened to a lot of uh talk radio growing up. Uh yeah, it was Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. Oh, yeah. from uh this is a conservative, conservative talk radio host. Is that KBOY here in Boise? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Anyways, sorry. Nice. <laughs> I listened to him, too, growing up. Yeah. I think he was on the only radio station we got in my house. Yeah. So. Only AM station? Yeah. yeah. 670 KBOY. There was a guy that he uh, hosted with when I was a kid who went on Jeopardy, or not Jeopardy, who wants to be a millionaire. Oh. Yeah. Who was that? Oh, I don't remember his name. He also did, like, random computer facts in the mornings. That's what we would listen to. Like, he <laughs> would just, like, Google something random and tell people facts about it, and that's what we would listen to on our way to school in the mornings. Hmm. No wonder I got into podcasting since I listened to, like, only AM radio growing up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, so our story starts with John Richard Brinkley, who was the son of William Brinkley, a captain of the 1st Regiment of North Carolina troops during the Revolutionary War. And the Brinkleys settled in the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina when the war was over. John was a mountain doctor, which meant that he probably studied under a licensed doctor for a little bit and then opened up his own practice and treated the poor mountain folk in the area. So, basically, you're like, I read a book about medicine with the guy that knows medicine, so now I'm a doctor. Nice. That's how doctors used to work back then. Yeah. So apprenticeships. Yeah. John Richard Brinkley got married several times during his life. His first marriage was annulled because he was underage. This guy... He was underage? Yeah, he was underage. <laughs> this guy loved to be married. Um, he had two daughters with his first legal wife, so not the wife that he got married when he was underage. So his second wife. Yes. Was his first legal wife. Yes. 
So her name was Sally. And when Sally died of tuberculosis, he then married his second wife, Sarah, who also died of tuberculosis, just like his third wife, Mary, and his fourth wife, Fanny. So and when I say fourth wife, I really mean fifth wife. So he had, he had four wives in a row yeah, that all died from tuberculosis. That all died of tuberculosis. I'm winking. Tuberculosis, yeah. air quotes. I think they really died of tuberculosis. <laughs> yeah. was, that was a pretty big deal yeah. back, in the, back yeah. in the day. And I don't know, but it didn't wives. sound like he really got anything out of it. Yeah. I mean, other than maybe he was a serial killer, is yeah. kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. could have been it. But Anyways, that's not what the story's about. It's not no, about murder. No. Or is it? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so after Fanny died, John served as a medic for the Confederacy during the Civil War. He didn't believe in slavery, but... He was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm... South of the... South of the Dixie. Ma- Mason Dixie. Yeah, Mason Dixon's line. Yeah, that that word. Is it Dixie? Dixon. I think you're right with Dixon. Worked as a medic for the Confederacy. Uh-huh. He didn't like it. Yeah. And then, but he... Surprisingly. And then, yeah, and then he was wounded twice during the war, but he survived. And after the Civil War ended, John met Sarah Mingus in 1870 when he was 42 years old. Sarah Mingus's very attractive 24-year-old niece, came, named Sarah Burnett, came to live with John and Sarah Mingus. They changed the niece's name to Sally, so they could stop confusing the two Sarahs. Sarah. So, by, the way, yeah. by the way, you're Sally now. <laughs> On July 8, 1885, Sally gave birth to a baby boy that she named John Romulus Brinkley. So wait, did he have a romantic relationship with the aunt? Yes, with the niece. The aunt. So he was married to Sarah, Sarah. Mingus, and then her niece had oh, the baby. He was married to Sarah. He was married to Sarah. He impregnated, impregnated Sally. Sally. Okay. Yes. He was like half his age. Wow. Yeah. And so she gave a birth to a baby boy that she named John, like not hiding it that yeah, whose kid, who's kid it was. Yeah. And then she gave him the middle name Romulus after the one of the mythical brothers that founded Rome, Italy. So, from now on, I'm, when I say John, I mean the baby John, not the older John. Okay. Or his dad John. Or, yeah. I, I mean baby John, when okay. I say John. Baby John. Okay. When I say John, it's baby John. Okay. We're focused on him now. <laughs> his dad was a doctor. Yes. So, when John was around five, his mother got pneumonia and then tuberculosis. She figured she didn't have long to live because... She saw kind of what happens to women that get tuberculosis. So she tried to teach little John all she could before she died. She made sure that he had good table manners and memorized the Lord's Prayer. John was by her bedside when she died. Right before dying, she told John that an angel had come to her in a dream and said that her aunt would raise up John and that he would be a great and useful man, and then she died. John went to go live with his dad and aunt, who then he started calling Aunt Sally. I don't know. It's really confusing. Because his mom was Sarah, so then he started, uh, yeah. His mom was Sally. Right, but he called the Sarah that was his, however, his mom's aunt, he started calling her Aunt Sally. It's very confusing. They weren't good with names. None of this makes sense. (laughs) 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 Yes. So who, so who's, so who died? The 24-year-old? The 24-year-old died. So now the older Sarah is now changed to Sally. Okay. It is. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Well, at least I can follow you now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when John was 10, his father became very sick with chest pains and died shortly after. 
John vowed that he would become a doctor like his father so that he could heal people and keep them from dying. John stayed with his aunt and attended a school that was a one-room log house that didn't give out high school diplomas. Sounds like a great foundation of education. To become a doctor, doctor, right? Yeah. So by this time, so-called... People have overcome bigger obstacles, but... That's true. So at this time in America, doctors that had only become a doctor by reading medicine with a doctor wasn't acceptable anymore. People like, you have to do more than that. You have to actually go to school. We're not none of this apprenticeship. Right. It's not working out. So, because, you know, you have people that actually went to school to become a doctor saying they're a doctor, and then you have people that read a book about medicine also calling themselves a doctor. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not working out for the best. It. Yeah. we got to establish like, what is Some a rules. doctor. Yeah. yeah. So, if John wanted to be a doctor, he'd actually have to attend medical school, which was very expensive. So he became a mail carrier and taught himself how to use a telegraph. John then left North Carolina for New York City, where he informed the manager at the Western Union headquarters that he was the best telegrapher in the world. Western Union, like, apparently believed him and offered him a job. (laughs) Do you have any references? (laughs) No. You're hired. (laughs) So they offered him a job, which had him traveling and living in different cities across the eastern United States. In 1906, John got a letter that his Aunt Sally wasn't doing well, so he returned home to see her and got a job transfer to a town called Bryson City, so he could be closer to her. John's aunt died on Christmas Day in 1906, and John had her buried next to his father. At her funeral, a 22-year-old woman named Sally Wyke... See, they've all just got... There's, you're, you're, you don't the, have very many options in North Carolina. You can be a John, you can be a Sally, or a Sarah. Yeah. There are three names to choose from. <laughs> that is it. Yeah. So, Sally, um, she used to bully John when they were in school together. So John's classmate, Sally. Her, former his, classmate, Sally. Right. So she comes up to him and starts comforting him. Yeah. They're older now. Yeah. She's not... Yeah so mean anymore. Yeah. So they hung out and John told Sally all about his travels and dreams of becoming a doctor. John seemed so different than the men that were still in their small town of Silva, North Carolina. He was traveled and he had... He's so cultured. Yeah, he'd yeah. left town, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I... So, okay, sorry. Go ahead. No, go for it. I was gonna say, so, Silva, North Carolina... Yeah. Uh, there was a scene... From Deliverance, the movie film, there just to kind of uh, set the mood of that like, makes that makes it it helps. I mean, obviously that film was pretty recent compared to the story timeline, but yeah, but it kind of it probably makes the same film, same feel. Yeah, this is very this is uh, <laughs> Appalachia for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they got married on January twenty seventh, nineteen o seven. So his aunt died Christmas Day, nineteen o six. They got married January 27th, 1907. 30 days later. Yeah. John and Sally started traveling the country in a medicine show, John as a Quaker doctor and Sally as his assistant. John was dressed in striped trousers and they would sing and dance while they touted a new tonic to the townspeople. So they were snake Uh, oil salesmen. Yeah. Which, check out the episode if you haven't. Yeah. It's good one. They would also sell books and pamphlets on medical advice, quote the Bible a lot, and talk about how traditional doctors were failing their patients by focusing on profits instead of actually healing their patients and not being open to new medical discoveries. When John and Sally's daughter Wendy was born on November 5, 1907, they were in Chicago and living in a basement. 
John decided that this life wasn't enough for him, and he still wanted to be a doctor. He started looking into Bennett Medical College, which is now the medical school at Loyola University. Oh. Yeah. Bennett Medical College was an eclectic medical school back then, which meant it focused on herbal medicine. John met with Dr. John Dill Robertson. See, only three names. This guy's also named John who was the president of the college. Dr. Robertson had once been a telegraph operator, like John, so they hit it off. So they had that in common. They kind of yeah. hit it off. So this guy's, like, seeing himself like, yeah. in this young man. Exactly. This aspiring doctor. Yeah. Dr. Robertson explained the tuition fees and how the school worked to John. But he didn't tell him that because Bennett Medical College was an eclectic medical school, the AMA refused to recognize the medical degrees that they gave out. Oh. So he kind of was like, yeah, come here. You can be a doctor. And he wasn't like, but nobody will. Like, yeah, We're not accredited. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> John borrowed the $25 needed to enroll and had to appear before a deputy examiner to pass high school subject tests since he never received a high school diploma. They're like, wow, you're accepted. You did good. You passed flying colors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He then started school, going to classes from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and then working for Western Union from 5.30 p.m. until 1 a.m. Jeez. While going to school, John and Sally had a son, but he only lived for three days. John was also going into huge debt trying to support his family and pay for medical school tuition. Ah, struggle is real. I can feel it. Yeah. Sympathize with it. At the end of his second year of school, he picked up a second shift with Western Union. You know, I'll do two shifts during the summer kind of thing, make more money. One day he came home and found that Sally had taken their daughter Wendy and all of their money and left him with nothing except for a dollar and ten cents. Oh, no. Sally filed for divorce and asked for alimony and child support. Sally got a job and would leave, one, would leave Wendy with her sister while she was at work. One day, while Sally was at work, John got Wendy from Sally's sister and got on a train headed for Montreal, Canada. Fleeing the country with his daughter. Mm -hmm. Canada wouldn't extradite a father for taking his own child, so Sally was forced to stop the divorce and get back together with John. That was Uh, the only way John would come back with their daughter. So he's not like his dad. What do you mean? He's not willing to take multiple wives. No. (laughs) Subsequent wives, I should say. Yeah. So, it didn't last long, though, when Sally left him again a year later. She went back to North Carolina, where she gave birth to their second daughter, Erna, on July 11th, 1911. Oh, gosh. John asked the North Carolina State Board of Medical Examiners if he could work in North Carolina as an undergraduate physician for the summer of 1911 so he could be with his family, and he was given given permission to do so by the board. So, John bought a used medical kit and left Chicago for North Carolina. John's first surgery was a foot amputation where a young man had cut his foot while working at a sawmill, and John basically just had to finish cutting it off. He basically had to, like, snip, like, a couple Couple strings. Yeah. Yeah. Sally and John got back together and moved to Jacksonville, Florida, after hearing about how great it was from a friend. So they're back together now? They're back together again. Oh, my gosh. Sally and yes, <laughs> really healthy. Yeah. Sally and John stayed there for a little bit, but they kept moving and breaking up and getting back together. John tried to enroll at different Anyone relationship baby or what do they call that? Relationship like a save the relationship baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, not quite yet. They okay. do have another one, I think. So John tried to enroll at different medical schools so he could finish his studies and receive his medical degree. 
but because he never paid all of his tuition at Bennett, they refused to forward his transcripts. John and Sally welcomed another daughter in 1913. Wow, nice. Sally told... Yeah. Sally told John that he needed to give up his dream of being a doctor and actually support his family or she was going to divorce him. John refused to not become a doctor, so Sally divorced John and married another guy named John from Prince Dillon, <laughs> from Prince Illinois. Oh my gosh! Uh, why did you have to pick a story with so many Johns and Sallys? <laughs> Sorry. John went to Knoxville, Tennessee. Which and one? I don't even know which John we're talking about. Now. We this is the main John. Brinkley. Brinkley. John Brinkley. Yeah, Junior. We're still sticking with him. John Brinkley Junior. John Brinkley Junior. <laughs> yep, that guy. We're sticking with that, John, for the rest of the story. Can you, can He's you, our guy now. Can you post like family tree of like, uh, John's dad? Okay. You can show the four wives, or five wives. Five wives. And then their Sally's and Sarah's and stuff. Oh my goodness, that'll it'll still be confusing. No, but yeah. No, because then people can uh, try to figure it out, uh, uh, or I'll just let them be still as confused as I am. Uh, but we're sticking with John Jr. He's okay. our dude. Okay. Whole story's about him. Okay. So John went to Knoxville, Tennessee, and started to practice medicine using his undergraduate license under Dr. Burke, who also didn't have a medical license. <laughs> Dr. Burke. So why, would we, why would he work under another doctor? That's what I wanted to know. He basically just, like, got hired. It's not. Mm. Yeah, it's. I don't know. He's. It's, it's all shady. Yeah. So, Dr. Burke did own a chain of medical offices in the area that concentrated on treating syphilis and gonorrhea. John's job was to scare people with stories and pictures. Or actually, I think they actually had, not just pictures, but, like, mason jars filled with, like... Infected genitalia. Yeah, and, like, different phases. And, like, this is what it'll look like at this phase. This is what it, And then John's job was to, like, walk... Infected men being like, this is what your junk's going to look like in a week. This is what it's going to look like in a month. And then they would get to the end where it's like, it just falls off, you know, Uh kind of thing. Uh And so then he'd scare them enough that they'd be like, I need to get treated right away. And then they'd go see Dr. Burke to get their treatment. After working with Dr. Burke for a while, he went back to Chicago and and met a salesman named James E. Crawford. The James. John and Crawford then opened up a medical office in Greenville, South Carolina that was above a shoe store. Their sign read, Greenville Electromedic Doctor- Doctors, which sounds pretty legit. Oh. Electromedic Doctors. Doctor. And they started putting advertisements in the local paper that said, Are you a manly man full of vigor? If any man called asking how to become more of a manly man full of vigor, Crawford, who had started calling himself Dr. Burke, would interview them, and they, and then John, who was calling himself Dr. Brinkley, would then treat them with so- shots of salversin, a medicine created for treating venereal diseases. They charged men $20, $25 for a shot in the butt, even though their shots were not the actual drug salvarsin. They were u- what they were using was really just colored water in a syringe. After running this, so so first of all, they're using a VD treatment drug, right? And second of all, is that a, is that supposedly a side effect of it? Like that you're supposed to increase testosterone or something? Or do you know? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's just fraud. It's I think just, it's just that fraud. Was, that was a, that I think was, it's just fraud on fraud. That was a product that they knew of that they right. most people probably had heard of. Right. Yeah. 
So after running this scam for about two months, they both got nervous that they were going to be found out, so they yeah, left town. Good. Because there's probably not I'm that they're many in men in Greenville, South Carolina, yeah, yeah. that are getting the shot, and they're going to find out soon that they're yeah, not, you yeah, know, yeah, nothing yeah. happened. Yeah. Was, those were the days of, like, when word, like, spreads. Well, and $25 was a lot of money for back yeah, then, yeah, too. Yeah. For a shot of water in the butt. Right. <laughs> so they left town. They left everything, including their clothes and medical supplies. They then went to Memphis, since Crawford had lived there before, and he called up a couple of the girls he used to know. One of these girls was Minerva Minnie Talitha Jones. Minnie was the daughter of a real doctor and part of an old and respected family in the Memphis area. No, Minnie, no. Run away. John and Minnie got married a few days after meeting on oh August gosh. 23rd, 1913. They literally got married like three days after meeting. Because this guy doesn't mess around. Right. He's like his dad. He also likes to be married. Apparently, yeah. I was yeah. wrong. Yeah. Once um, he finally got rid of the first one. Yeah. Um. So they got married at the Peabody Hotel. Minnie's parents thought that John was great, and Minnie and John left on a long honeymoon using the money that he made in Greensville. They spent two weeks in Kansas City, a week in Denver, and three weeks in Pocatello, Idaho. Oh, that is the dream honeymoon. The Pocatello, Idaho, where everybody wants to go for three weeks. Uh So romantic. When Minnie and John got back to Tennessee, John was arrested and extradited to South Carolina for check fraud and for practicing medicine without a license. John immediately ratted out Crawford, who was still in Pocatello because he had gone on their honeymoon with them. Awkward third You always take your best friend with you. John rants out Crawford. Sorry, yeah, back to Crawford. Yeah. He's in Pocatello. Yeah, but he gets extradited back to South Carolina as well. Minnie's father was able to get John out of jail and helped pay his creditors. After that, John started practicing medicine with his undergraduate license in Judsonia, Arkansas. A few months later, a doctor in Earl, Arkansas, was moving to Connecticut, and John took over his practice in Arkansas. After taking over the office, John received a brochure from the Eclectic Medical University of Kansas City. John wrote the university and explained how he took three years of medical classes at Bennett, when he was hoping that he could take his fourth year and graduate from their program. The school wrote back and said as long as he forwarded his transcripts and paid the $100 for tuition, he could enroll. So John finally paid off his tuition debt at Bennett, paid the $100 to Eclectic Medical University, and moved to Kansas City with Minnie. But what it really seems like is the Eclectic Medical University really was like, give us your $100, we will give you a diploma. And so that's exactly what they did, and John finally became a doctor (laughs) with a diploma. That wasn't accredited? Was this one accredited? It's, well, so it's the Eclectic Medical University, which is not a field of of licensure. Right, the the AMA does not recognize it. So not really accredited. Know what I mean? John and Minnie moved back to Tennessee, where Minnie's father wanted John to join his practice, but John wasn't interested. He had always I wonder why. Yeah. Because he's not a, a real, real doctor. doctor. Didn't want his father-in-law to find out. Yeah, this reminds me of like a what's the plane show? He has a pilot. I have no idea what you're talking about. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, I know now. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you have to be like you have to give me at least a couple more. Hands. I almost said Brad Pitt. Oh God. <laughs> That would have really thrown me. Yes, Leonardo DiCaprio, catch me if you can. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, good. So this reminds me yeah. of this guy's like 40. So, 
I think part of it was that he didn't want his father-in-law finding out, and part of it is that he really wanted to work with prostates. That was, like, his dream. He wanted to be a prostate doctor. So, I don't know what that says about him, but that's really what he wanted to do, and his father didn't work with, or his father-in-law didn't work with prostates. He wasn't a prostatic doctor. (laughs) No, he was not. Prostatics. He also did not do that. I don't think that's the real term for it. I don't believe so. (laughs) So he decided he was going to keep looking until he found the perfect position. You know, didn't want to be tied down by anything until he found his perfect job. Right. So he went to Kansas to look for a job and got a job working for a packing company in Kansas City until he could get hired as a doctor. Even though he didn't work with the animals, he used his free time to study the diseases of the animals and their glands. He was also, you know, prostates, glands. He's really into glands. When he asked, so you mean packing company? I was thinking like where Amazon warehouse. No, I don't believe so. <laughs> Not the same. So when so it's what like a meat packing company. So when he asked the meat inspectors which animals were the healthiest, they said it was for sure the goat. No questions asked. John finally got a job as a physician, and I know that seems like a really random fact, but it's really important here in like <laughs> a paragraph or two. Okay. John finally got a job as a wow. physician in Fulton, Kansas. Some of his first patients were an old couple. John's favorite saying was, an old stovepipe won't draw it if it isn't cleaned out. <laughs> Which is a weird thing to have as your favorite saying. <laughs> An old stovepipe. An old stovepipe stove won't draw if it isn't cleaned out. <laughs> and he prescribed them prescriptions for constipation, liver problems, and kidney flushing. Yeah. It seems like his thing was like, just get rid of everything that is your body and start over. Yeah, yeah. So the old couple loved it. They felt so much better after they got cleaned out. Yeah. And they just told everybody about John and how much they loved him. And so John started getting all kinds of patients, and he became a staple in the community. When the Fulton mayor's cat ate John's pet canary, John shot the cat. The mayor then started writing columns in the local paper that he owned attacking John. So John decided to run for mayor with the slogan, Clean up, clean out, keep clean. So... (laughs) John actually won by a huge margin, and the previous mayor was so uh, embarrassed that he sold his newspaper and left Fulton. Wow. Yeah. So John had joined the Army Reserves, and when the United States entered World War I, John was activated and sent to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. The, the home to the Medical Corps? Yes. So after serving for two days, <laughs> higher-ups placed John under observation for a nervous breakdown. At the, ho- at the hospital in Fort Bliss, and then discharged him a month later. So, I don't know what happened to him, that he had a nervous breakdown. Ugh, too many prostates? I don't know. So <laughs> many prostates. He just, like, got overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. So, after being discharged, John took a position in Milford, Kansas. They set up a drugstore there where John set up, a, set up his office, and Minnie ran the drugstore. Less than two weeks after setting up the drugstore, a man walked into John's office and told him about his problems. He and his wife had a teenager, and they had been trying for another child, but he said there was no pep. It was just flat tire. <laughs> that's, that's when John brought up his memories of the goats at the packing plant. Ah, uh, yes. And said, you wouldn't have any trouble if you had a pair of those butt glands in you. And the man responded, well, why don't you put them in? 
butt glands? Yes, buck glands, which oh, means buck glands. buck glands, which means goat testicles. Yeah. John warned him that he could die. Like, um, uh, I've never put buck uh, testicles uh, in anybody before, and this, this is just like action. a really random thought that I'm having. I don't know if it'll yeah, work. Yeah, this, I'm going with what I feel right now. Yeah, and the guy was like, "I feel you too. Go ahead, do it." Yeah, see how this plays out. And that's when John said, "Well, I don't have a goat." And the guy said, no problem, I raise him. I'll furnish the goat, you do the operation. So the man went and got a goat and brought it back into the drugstore late at night. John took the balls out of the goat and put him in... That's when you know it's shady. It's at night? Yeah, because obviously (laughs) this is a terrible idea. This guy has volunteered himself to get goat... And it's... Yeah. It's just this random... Like, was he drunk when he thought of this? Who? Both of them. Either one of them. <laughs> Were they both drunk? Well, he's bringing his own goat. Like, does he yeah. get a discount for the surgery? I, I don't know. Is John even Well, that's the thing. Him? John didn't know what to charge for it. <laughs> so, anyways, he brings in the goat. They take the testicles out of the goat, and then he slits open the guy's ball sack, and he slips the testicles in, and then he sews them back up. Just puts them in there. Just, just yeah, plops them in there. Doesn't even take out the old ones. No, no. You just, you'll have four balls now. Oh. That's gotta be better. Four balls is better than two, right? Like I always say. Like you always say. Four testicles is better than two. Four testicles is better than two. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so two weeks later, the man came back with a check for $150. Nice. For John and said that he would have made it a larger amount if he could have afforded it. Even though John had wanted to keep the surgery private, because it's kind of embarrassing for people to find out that you do goat ball surgery, the man obviously told people because soon another man came into the drugstore with the same problem and asking for the same surgery. That man got the surgery, and he felt that it went so well that he brought his wife in to get a goat ovary put into her abdomen. So then, I assume John killed a goat, grabbed the goat ovary, slit open this woman's abdomen and just plopped the goat ovary into her abdomen. Oh and then sewed her back up. My god. Yeah. So, a year later, the couple had a healthy baby boy that they named Billy. What? Like a Billy goat. Which could, like, you know, maybe that was his father. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> was the child half goat? The first centaur was born. <laughs> yeah. Little did you know, America, the first centaur was born. Hi, Dad. Why do you call? Why did you name me Billy? <laughs> well, son, I had goat balls put into me. <laughs> Is that a lie? Is <laughs> that why I'm so hairy? Yeah. Is that why I have these horns? Is that why I have these cloven hooves? <laughs> yeah. John started to become known as the Milford Messiah. Men would check into John's office and then be escorted to the back of the building where they could choose which goat's balls they wanted inserted into themselves. <laughs> I like the looks of that goat. I imagine it's like going for plastic surgery nowadays and yeah. picking out the... Or like picking out like which boob size you want. Yeah, or you fake nose or like butt Do you think they like went and like or... felt them before? Yeah. Like just like we're feeling different like goat ball sacks? Yeah, yeah. Oh, these ones feel nice. This is a good size. I don't want them too big. I don't want them too big, but I also don't want them too small. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, so that's a cool thing. That's a good ratio there. Yeah. 
So then the billy was... Then Size the, ratio. Yeah. So then the billy goat was castrated and the testicles were placed into the man's scrotum through a slit cut into the scrotum. John soon found out that unless he used Nibians, Sonnens, or Toggenberg goats, the men who had billy goat balls or had b- billy goat ball transfers started to smell like billy goats. And for those of you that don't know, have never oh, been raised God. around goats, billy goats pee on themselves. Like, as soon as they, like, start getting hormonal... Go, once they go through puberty. Once they go through puberty, they pee on themselves constantly because lady goats, nannies, thinks it smells good. And so if you even touch a billy goat, your hand will smell like goat urine because they have just literally just marinated themselves in their pee for their almost their entire lives. Mm. So these men are leaving the doctor's office Smelling like goatee. That's coming, yeah. That's a turn on. Yeah. They said that it wore off in like a month. So that's still a really That's really bad. So people are like, Oh, you got it you got the you got the goat gonad surgery, didn't you? I can smell it. No, just been out in the barn. Well but you live in an apartment. Well they said that then um, John started like putting perfume in there too to cover up the smell. Oh god. So let's just that start, can't be good for us. Let's just start adding more foreign yeah. substances. So he charged each patient five hundred dollars in operation and then would send them That and, first guy got a deal. Yeah, he got a great deal. Dang. Um, and then he would send them home with a bottle of prescription 1020, Dr. John Brinkley's own concoction. The prescription was just a bottle of colored Water, just like before, and it was marked up about ninety two hundred percent. Oh my god! How much is that? I don't remember. I didn't. I didn't get a price for it. It just said that he just. Marked I mean, it, it was just lot. colored water. So really, whatever they were paying for it was too much. Then Minnie got a small inheritance from some relatives, and then used the money to build the Brinkley Jones Hospital and Training School for nurses in the middle of town. Minnie soon became a graduate of the school and even signed her own diploma as the vice president of the school. So super legit. Yeah. Nepotism at its finest. Yeah. I gave myself a degree. Yeah. It's like honorary degrees. Yeah. Except this is dangerous because she's now calling herself a nurse. Uh The hospital school was three stories. It could hold 16 patients at a time and had a pen for the goats just outside. (laughs) John, can you imagine? (laughs) No. It's so insane. Oh my god. It's literally so insane. We're in, where, where are we at again? We're in Kansas. Kansas. Yeah, Milford, Kansas. Milford, Kansas. Oh my gosh. So John thought about starting a zoo near the hospital as well, and he bought a bear. Oh, yeah, sure. Let's you know what would make this better? A zoo. Yeah. yeah. So for the patients, so they can walk around. Right. After, you know, post-surgery. Yeah. Pre-surgery, help calm the nerves. So he, yeah, so he... <laughs> so he, You know, see the bears? Yeah, so he bought a bear... And he put the bear in a cage next to the hospital, and the kids would stop to look at it on their way uh, to school and back home. Mm-hmm. One night, the bear started growling and making too much noise, which annoyed John, and he went out and shot the bear, and that was the end of the zoo. Oh, my God. Yeah. So. Just, <laughs> like, what did you expect? Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a bear. It's a wild animal. It's a bear. It's going to make noises. Yeah, especially if you put it in a cage. Yeah. In 1926, John sponsored a baseball team that was then named the Brinkley Goats. Their jerseys had goats on them, and the goats had the words Dr. Brinkley, like, printed on the side of the goat. Brinkley decided to expand his knowledge and went to Chicago to take a surgery class against Dr. Max the Wreck. So he's actually getting, like, real... Real education. Yeah. However, John developed a drinking problem and failed the course. Because he was just literally hammered the entire time he was there. 
Where was the course? Chicago. Hmm. I, I had fun in Chicago. It's a pretty fun town. I get <laughs> Apparently it. he had a lot of fun, too. Despite Especially in the 30s? This, the 20s. Yeah. Oh, 20s? Well, this Prohibition. Exactly. Yeah. Like, Prohibition Chicago. He probably is like, wow. Stuff's free booze everywhere. Yeah. Speakeasies everywhere. So John was the doctor for the wife of William Jennings Bryan, the Secretary of State at the time, who, it is rumored, got the goat gonad surgery. <laughs> Allegedly. Bryan asked John to come to Washington, D.C. to perform his goat operation on President Woodrow Wilson. What? Yeah. Yeah. Did but he? but since John would have to ride a tr- on a train with his goats into D.C., there was no way that he couldn't, like, people wouldn't be like, oh, he must be going to, like, Woodrow Wilson. Like, there's no way that he could, like, secretly, he yeah. said, get no. to the president with his goat. I mean, there is. There totally is. But, but he said, so the operation I was pre- called off. I, pre- I appreciate him not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> that we almost had a... Part goat president. That's president. That would be that big for great presidential trivia. And if it was like it actually happened. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's kind of fun that that, that happened good, that to one of our Secretary good. of States. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. That might be a good future presidential question. Yeah. Which president almost got nuts? <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> I feel I'm like turning this off now. Yeah, be like, also, how do I like explain that answer at the end without also going into this whole story? See, so, so here there was 30. this thing. There was this guy that liked to put goat gonads and people, and yeah. See, episode thirty-two it became a huge thing. So John was then invited to lecture on his special operation at the Kansas City College of Medicine and Surgery. While he was there, he got a phone call that Minnie had been arrested for selling alcohol to a dentist, and the dentist got hammered off of it. Uh, Remember, uh, doctors and pharmacists can have alcohol uh-huh. that, that has to be used for medicinal, medicinal purposes. purposes, and so she was selling it under the table. Uh, Minnie. Mm-hmm. John rushed home and took the fall for Minnie by pleading guilty to three cases of bootlegging. He was fined $100 and sentenced to two years of probation. Uh, three counts. Three counts of bootlegging. Despite that being Minnie's fault, John was getting a reputation as a violent drunk around town. Uh-oh. There were stories of him chopping a person's tire up with an axe and chasing patients out of his hospital while holding a butcher knife. Another doctor that worked at John's hospital, Dr. Horatio Dwight Osborne, only had one ear and many blamed that on John. Many in town believed that John had bitten it off during an argument, and another story was that he was just trying to calm down, calm John down, and John sliced off his ear with a knife. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, dude. <laughs> Sounds like a good friend. Yeah. Or- Co-worker boss. Good boss. Yeah. <laughs> in order to expand his reach and better his reputation, John paid for public relation managers to create ads for him and his goat gonad surgery. Harry Chandler, the owner of... So, like, now it's just, like, blit. Just, it's all out there now. Yeah. Like, hey, come get some... Yep. So now everybody knows about it. Across the country. Yeah. So, Harry Chandler, the owner of the Los Angeles Times, heard about John and his operation and invited John to come to L.A. and operate on him and some of his editors. John said that he would love to, but he didn't have a California medical license. 
Chandler was able to pull some strings, and the California State Medical Board gave John a 30-day permit to practice medicine in California. So John and Minnie went to L.A., and John started doing the operations. Chandler was very impressed with the results and gave it a ton of publicity. John decided to increase the price of his operation to $750 and up to $2,000 to to use human gonads from prisoners on death row instead of goat testicles. What? Yeah. So, like... Which, I don't know what you would want more. But, okay, first of all, my first question is... Sure. How can he legally obtain those? Like, are these prisoners, like, I don't know if... I don't know. Are they Oregon donors? So, like... Once they die? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they were alive when he got them. I don't know if they had recently died. And I don't know who was giving him the permission... Or if he was just literally just God, getting... I can't imagine they would be, after they were executed or, or, or you know, sentenced or... Well, this guy's obviously not against putting rotting things... Yeah, but I people. mean... <laughs> but I mean, still, like, how is he getting the bodies? Uh, get, he gets them from the Well, family? and sometimes I wonder if it's not just goat testicles that he was like, oh, these are human testicles from people uh, on death row, which I kind of wonder if that was it, too. But either way, like, would you, (laughs) hypothetical here, Mm -hmm. as a man, Mm -hmm. would you rather have, if you're, like, thinking that this is going to make you more randy, as they say, would you rather have goat testicles put in you or death row inmate testicles put in you? Not a death row inmate testicle. See, I'm thinking that goat testicles are, like, the better option out of the two. Yeah, but they're they're the human option. Yeah, but I'm like, I don't know. It just, none of it makes sense to me, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So, then the Los Angeles record ran an advertisement with Billy, the first goat gland baby, and there was a movie all about the rejuvenation through gland transplanting. John started to get movie stars coming to him for the operation, and he made $40,000 while he was in L.A. In 30 days. Yep. With his newfound popularity. In the the 20s. In the 20s. With his newfound popularity, jokes about him and his operation started going around, too. Like, what is the fastest four-legged animal in the world? A billy goat going past the Brinkley Hospital. (laughs) That was a good 1920s joke. (laughs) I think it's funny even today. And so by this time, Brinkley was doing about 50 goat surgeries a month. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. So... This is where I'm going to end the story for right now. What? Yeah, we're only halfway through. So you have to come back because there's just so much more. And it just gets crazier than just go gonad surgery. Yeah. So, yeah. So come back next week for part two. Yeah. How do you feel right now? How are you feeling right now about this story? I'm just so confused. Like, <clears throat> who... Okay, first of all, who thinks of this and this is a good idea? Like, see, that's why I'm wondering if he wasn't like, oh, he was like the guy, the farmer, the first farmer who got this operation done, came into him and was like, "I can have a baby," and John's like, "You want to have a drink?" And they had like bajillion drinks. He's like, "You know, it might work. Go testicles in your body, just it's like it's like an organ transplant." Yeah, the guy's like done, and also. Wouldn't you think that in order for it to work, you would need to, like, hook it up to something? You know, instead of just plopping them in there? 
just popping rotting testicles into your body. Wouldn't you want to be like, can you get some blood to them well, or okay. some nerves? Okay, so let's be fair. They're they're not rotting. Well, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, in the sense that, like, he's pulling them off of decaying goats. Like, right. they're live goats. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would... Has anybody autopsied any of these people? Like, was there ever, like, any, like, medical research done on on these patients? That'll be next week's episode, where we get into that, about what really happened to the people. Not everybody was so happy about the results of their operation. Yeah. So. Is Billy out there? Is he, like, still alive? Well, no, obviously not. I mean, unless he's, like, a hundred and... I mean, yeah. I don't know. They made a movie about him that they showed in L.A. Does he have Does he have kids? I don't know. So, if your if your great grandpa was your grandpa, or your great grandpa was Billy the Goat Gonad Baby, <laughs> please write to us. We, we have to hear from you. We have questions. We do a lot of questions. Well, I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know that I have any questions. I just think it'd be interesting to hear. My question is. Did they tell you why your grandpa's name was Billy? And at what age did they tell you about it? That's my question. My sources for the story were Nuts! A Questionable Cure for Impotence by Evan Kinley. Did you read that one? All of it? What? Is that a book? No, that was an article. (laughs) It's going to ask you how many page book that was. Yeah, no, it's literally just an article. John R. Brinkley got rich on glandular gullibility by Peter Carlson. Crafty Crooks and Con Men by Nigel Blundell and Sue Blackhall. The Bizarre Careers of John R. Brinkley by R. Elton Lee and Charlatan. America's Most Dangerous Huckster, The Man Who Pursued Him, and The Age of Flimflam by Pope Brock. So do you want to tell people the, uh, the answer to the presidential trivia? Yes. So you repeat it and then so, say the answer. I think I know how this works. What? Time or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So the question was, uh, which president did not get sworn in on a Bible or a book? The answer is Teddy Roosevelt. What? So once President McKinley was assassinated, uh, he was told that... Uh, because he was then, the vice president. Then, then vice president Teddy Roosevelt was right. told that McKinley was going to survive. So he took a vacation, uh, uh, family vacation, and then McKinley didn't survive. So they had to swear in. Well, he was on vacation. Yep. And he didn't have any books. Apparently he's not a, a, a Bible reader uh, on vacation. Hmm. So. Cool. So. That was a good one. Yeah. Oh, so. I like that one. If you would like to learn more about this story or any other episodes that we've done or check out some sweet merchandise that we have, please go to com. If you would like to support this cod- podcast, please go to patreon.com and search for America the Bazaar. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen so more people can find out about us and start listening. And then you can also follow us on social media. We have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm bored and in, tic- and in quarantine, and I've also kind of started us a TikTok 
So it's pretty pretty basic and not and not great. Yeah. Yet. You can get the creative juices flowing. And yeah. See see what you can. Let's see how bored I get. Yeah. So stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay, stay weird, weird, America. America.